Welcome back to Victor E. History Podcast from the History Department at Fort Hay State University, home of Victor E. Tiger. Here at Victor E. History, Dr. Manami Guha and Holly Marquis highlight student, faculty, and alumni research. I'm Holly Marquis, and today I'm joined by history graduate student, Liz Dobmeyer, who is here to discuss her research that she titled Nursing Under Fire, The Experiences and Achievements of World War I Allied Nurses on the Western Front. Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Before we talk about your research, could you tell us a little about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. I am an online graduate student here at Fort Hayes State University. I live in a suburb of Indianapolis with my husband, my two daughters, Vivian and Parker, who are ages six and two, our two cats, Jax and Lulu, and a benefit. Your, your interests in history. My big interests in history are medical history, specifically focusing on women in medicine, as well as women's health history. And you're pursuing your MA online. What made you choose FHSU? And along with that, how's your experience been here so far? I have loved my experience here so far. I actually chose Fort Hayes State. I applied at a few different schools, but I chose Fort Hayes State because of the personalization that you all allowed and and specifically focus on on your website. The website specifically said, tell us what you want to study. Let us help you study what you want to know. And I've really been able to see that and do that here since I've come. For what class did you write this Nursing Under Fire paper? I wrote this for the 20th century world history, 1900 to 1950, taught online by Dr. David Bovey. So this was not your only research paper you had for that semester. You're also writing your seminar paper from the nationalism and socialism in Central and Eastern Europe class. How did you balance those two projects at the same time? That was actually fairly difficult. The seminar paper was a bit of a beast to tackle. Um, I wrote that on the medical ethics of medical providers during and after the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. So as you can imagine, and it was a lot of research for that topic as well as this topic. Luckily, I came up with a system in my senior year of my first time around in undergraduate where I basically um, chunk out my reading. So I'll read so many pages per day, for example. So you can tackle a lot and and still get the assignments completed on time. It was, I know, quite the beast, as you mentioned. Uh, in this class, the you know world class, this is a class that there has been so many options for fascinating research. What led you specifically to allied nurses? I have actually a lot of nurses in my family background, and I have always been fascinated by nursing. So I knew I wanted to do something with nursing and something with medicine. Um, And then Dr. Bovey had us read a book called The Rights of Spring, The Great War and the Birth of the Modern Age by Modris Eckstein's. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name. But when I was reading that text, he he talked a lot about firsts during during the war, Um, new types of, of machinery that soldiers face, new types of of war, including the trench warfare um, and the wars of attrition, which were all new for, for warfare at the time, which of course led to new wounds and new ways that these soldiers needed to be treated. And so that really fascinated me and, and brought me into medical. And then I realized that there wasn't a whole lot out there about the World War I nurses. 
um, tons about World War II nurses, but not a whole lot about World War I nurses. So I wanted to learn what I could. So let's dive in. You are looking here at women who are serving as nurses or as part of volunteer aid detachments stationed in France, Belgium, and Britain. You certainly can't speak for every individual experience, but is there some commonality in what drew these women to this type of service? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the women who initially uh, responded to the call for help joined the Red Cross wanting to do their part for the for their boys overseas, per se. They were women of um, mostly upper class backgrounds who didn't necessarily want to go to college first or get married. And so they wanted to join the Red Cross to be able to like, you know, literally nurse their boys who were injured. However, much of what they were tasked with was knitting socks, rolling bandages, um, you know, organizing food to go over, that sort of thing. Definitely not what they were initially looking to do. Right. It doesn't take a lot of skill set for that. These women, were they already nurses in their civilian lives or was there on-the-job training? Some of the women that signed up were nurses. Um, from what I read, most of the ones that were nurses in civilian life either came from the UK or Australia. Um, and they were not expecting at all what they ended up getting thrown into. However, as I mentioned, a lot of the other ladies were mostly highborn ladies, not necessarily looking to go into the kind of expected roles of college or marriage. And they wanted to try to do their part for the war effort. So these women received some minor training before they were put into these situations? They didn't receive a whole lot of training. There was some very, very minor first aid type training and a little bit about how to deal with military life since most of these women would not have known what to expect with that. But for the most part, they were just kind of thrown right into the fray per se. And what kinds of conditions are they working in day to day? Um, well, as you can probably imagine, women who were on the front faced all kinds of hardships and atrocities. Um, not only danger from bombs, bullets, shrapnel, air raids, um, that sort of thing directly on the front, but also the women away from the front found themselves in horrible conditions. Um, most of it depended on where they were stationed. For example, the Australian nurses, which I mentioned before, that were stationed in France, found themselves facing horribly muddy conditions, freezing temperatures, planks laid on the ground to help keep them from sinking in the mud called duck boards. And that's all they had to walk on. And they were mostly working out of tents, which, as you can imagine, did not provide much um, comfort. So they are working out of tents. They've got frozen instruments and they've got b bombs, enemies, all of this. It doesn't really sound like a pleasant experience. Um, can you talk a little bit about the what their nights were like? So nights were especially hard for the nurses because a lot of times they would have to be in pitch blackness. Working on the front or close to the front, you would be constantly terrified of air raids. So a lot of times they would be required to be completely lights out or working on these little hurricane lanterns, which are these little oil lamps, basically, that barely provide any light. 
which on its own, that would be horrible. Except if you think about it, these women are saving lives as these men are coming in. So they never know when somebody could hemorrhage or need literally like instant medical intervention to try to save their lives. And these nurses are fumbling around in the dark, trying to find instruments and can barely see in front of their face. That just sounds so awful for the patient as well as the nurse. Yeah, it's absolutely just terrifying to think of that. (laughs) In your paper, you mentioned ward sisters. What's a ward sister and what do they do? So a ward sister was a nurse that was assigned to a particular ward. For example, there were different wards like um, basic wounds or illnesses, head wounds, a surgical ward, um, contagious ward, that sort of thing. Um, These sisters or nurses were expected to check and change their patients' bandages, clean wounds, bathe their patients. Um, If a patient needed help feeding or getting drinks, like if their hands were bandaged or they couldn't see due to gas blindness, they would have to help with that. Um, Changing bed linens. um, Or if a patient was going to be moved to a a new aid station or hospital, depending on if they were going to go home or if their condition worsened, it would be the nurse's responsibility to flip the bed and make sure that bed was ready for the next patient. Um, During an influx of patients or what they call big pushes, nurses would have to very quickly flip as many beds as possible as they triage patients to make sure they had enough beds available for the patients that were coming in. What these nurses saw and faced, nobody had any idea of what to expect and the amount of patients and injuries that they saw, no one knew how to handle. Yeah, and they certainly would have been brought up with notions of what's respectable in terms of seeing nude male bodies before marriage and, you know, there's different dangers that they face in even handling their patients. Yeah, absolutely. You know, these women, especially the ones that were born of, of more high class birth, had, had never seen a male body nude before outside of maybe possibly a father or brother when they were very young. And so they were all of a sudden faced with having to undress and dress these patients to look for wounds specifically. And as they were undressing patients, I read a few accounts where nurses stumbled across, oh, you know, bullets, grenades, and even bombs in the pockets of their patients. (laughs) Just another layer of terrifying on top of all of this horrific work that they're doing that you might find a stray bomb in the pocket of one of your patients. Even someone who had extensive training, even people who were a nurse coming in, Obviously, the war is going to have them experience new types of wounds, new types of procedures, which you discuss in your paper, but they're also performing all kinds of non-nursing duties as well. Can you speak to some of those non-nursing duties? Yeah, sure. Um, One of the nursing duties or non-nursing duties that nurses often found themselves assigned to that they absolutely just could not stand in most of the cases that I read was mess duty which is to say working in the kitchens and the cafeteria. Nurses would be assigned to manage or supervise local ladies that were brought in to cook the meals, clean dishes. And the nurses were expected to also chip in and do that. In addition to serving officers, fellow nurses, the patients that came in, in food, drink, everything that, you know, that they needed during a meal. 
So they want a break from that type of service at home, but then they find themselves doing that type of service in war. Yeah. The only good thing about working in the mess hall that the nurses commented on was the fact that rationing was not a thing for them over there. So they were getting things like butter and sugar and milk, whereas their friends and family back home could not. You also mentioned some plays and entertainment. So that sounds like a a way that they could bring up the morale of a wounded soldier. Yeah, nurses were really looked at as kind of morale officers in the hospitals. Um, There were at holiday times, for example, Christmas, they would arrange little presents that they could. There were shortages everywhere. So they did what they could in terms of requesting things from family back home, such as phonographs for entertainment. Um, They would arrange like costumes or little parades through the wards, pretty much anything to get these guys' spirits up to continue fighting and do their part to continue the war effort. In addition to all of the wounds that they're dressing and, and all of these nursing duties that they're performing and dangers that their experiences let them near bombs, uh, all of that, they've also got quite a bit of exposure to disease. Can you talk about that? Being in trench warfare, which was a brand new thing for not only these soldiers, but also the doctors and nurses who began to see infections or new types of disease coming in. Um, And anytime you have have war or a, a big group of people in one area, you're bound to get things that spread. These women face tuberculosis. They faced the influenza pandemic in 1918 towards the end of the war. They faced um, something called blue pus, which was a type of type of infection. Yeah, it was named that way for the color of the infection that seeped out of the wound. It was highly, highly contagious. And when a patient came in with that, only one sister would be assigned to it um, just to help keep it in one area not spreading. Gross. So someone that they didn't like, you get the blue pus guy? Yeah, the blue pus guy. Let's draw straws here, ladies. Um, They also, there were several instances I, I read where if somebody would have something as simple as a paper cut on their finger, just dealing with the dirt and grime on these soldiers or the infections that they face, they would often end up in the hospital themselves with a pretty nasty infection just from doing their daily duties. Tell me about Edith Cavell. Who was she? Edith Cavell was a World War One nurse. Um, she served in Belgium. She was a head nurse of her hospital there. Um, she was captured by Germans, tried for a spy, convicted and executed. This story blew up after it happened. It was not something that anyone would expect, you know, of, of one of their nurses um, to be captured and, and tried for espionage. Uh, she was very, very brave right until the very end, did her duty. And even on the eve of her death, she wrote a letter to her nurses thanking them for the work that they had done with her and for their patients and and just beseeching them to carry on after her. Do not see her death as something terrifying, um, but to continue the work so that 
they could try to win the war. The Germans kind of messed up when they executed <laughs> Eve Cavell. She ended up being kind of a martyr. And she's actually still looked at by nurses even today as as kind of like someone really to look up to as, you know, just a patriot of your country and, and doing your duty for your patients. She sounds very brave. And I think that that bravery for the women who served is often overlooked. When we think about war, we think about the bravery of the people at the front, but the nurses, uh, the aid detachments, all of those people are especially brave as well. Their, their roles, their experiences, they varied quite a bit. Would you say that there was something or perhaps a few things that were common to most nurses in their experiences? There were a few things that all nurses kind of contended with across the board from the stories and memoirs that I read. Um, Patient care difficulties in terms of shortages of products and supplies were a huge thing. I I read a, a story where a nurse had issues. She was taking in patients from ambulances at a train depot and the ambulances came from all over, from Belgium, from France, from the UK. And you'd think that they would be fairly standard in size for the stretchers, but they weren't. Every stretcher and every ambulance came in differently. So they ended up having to kind of adjust the stretchers as they went to to fit the ambulances so that they could get the patients to the train depot from the, the front so that the patients could be seen. So they're brave, but also very resourceful. Was there anything interesting that you found in your research, particularly in those memoirs or other primary sources that you ultimately had to leave out of the paper? I found this awesome little tidbit, and it is my favorite story to tell having after written this paper. Do you know what an autoclave is? I do not. So an autoclave is is a tool still used today. It's um, basically a little steam oven that sterilizes metal instruments. Uh, we, I work in a medical office and we use one every single day to sterilize our forceps and, and items like that. And they were created back in the late 1800s, but really started coming into popularity around World War I. And while they were just coming into popularity, a lot of these nurses who didn't have training had no idea what an autoclave was. So when they started being delivered to the front, these nurses, they just had no idea what it was, but they realized it dried things. So they started drying wild mushrooms and their undergarments in the autoclave. (laughs) So they've sterilized underwear. What kinds of research are you working on for this semester? Well, neither of my current classes have major research projects this semester, but each has several book reviews. In my Atlantic history class, I am working on a couple of different texts, one of which looks at the racialization of medicine in the Atlantic slave trade. And then the other texts are based on the traditional medicine brought over by enslaved persons from Africa. In my Mexican history course, I'm reading a text for a book review on Barbasco, which is a wild yam that grows in Mexico, which really jump-started the synthetic hormone movement in terms of steroid production, as well as um, even birth control pills which is just crazy to think about that those come from yam hormones. It's really great to see that you've been able to take your personal interests and work that into 
basically every class you've had with us so far. Yeah, and I'm really excited for this coming spring because I'll be taking history of disease. That is a really cool class. I think that you're going to be really excited about the whole thing. It's just a really awesome class. It's a neat way to look at history. Beyond the spring, what's what do you have in the works for your school or career goals? So I actually just submitted my last um, PhD program application. Um, I applied to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I applied to Purdue University and Indiana University. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I hope I get in. I really want to teach at the collegiate level is kind of what my long-term goal is. That is exciting. I'm so excited to watch you achieve your goals. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about your research. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. We will post a selected bibliography of sources for those who want to learn more about Liz's research on allied nurses on the Western Front at our website, victoryhistory.com, B-I-C-T-O-R-E history.com. You can subscribe there by email to get notifications on episodes, and you can find our Victor E. History podcast on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, or at victoryhistory.com. And if you're interested in pursuing a history degree or a history education degree at FHSU online or on campus, visit www.fhsu.edu history to learn more.